Hello and welcome everyone to by far the fastest episode of Bounce Off we will have all season because for various different reasons I didn't get a chance to watch the games live and so I've watched them all this morning as quickly as possible before I have to get to work. So let's get into last night's action. This is Bounce Off number one slam ball podcast worldwide. I am your host Sam Roberts. You can find me on social media at Quantum Roberts. That's Q-U-A-N-T-U-M Roberts. Let's get into the headlines from last night's action. The Slashers get some statement wins. The Buzz saw keep second place within reach and the wrath desperately need a stopper that is what we're going to talk about today we've got three matchups from last night to talk about then we've got two technically three matchups coming this evening that we will sort of do a little quick preview for and that's everything we've got on bounce off today if you are watching on youtube comment down below let us know what you think of the games of what we're talking about etc if you are on apple Podcasts or any sort of podcasting app that lets you rate and review rate and review this podcast so that more people can find out about the awesome sport of slam ball how fast was that all that in a minute and four seconds by my count all right First game of the night last night is one of the best games of slam ball we have had all season and it feels like I'm saying that more and more as the season progresses. It was Wrath, it was Slashers, it was a game that ended up being 62-64 to 64 in favour of the Slashers. Here are the cliff notes from this game and the biggest things to take away going forward into the playoffs and with the rest of this last weekend of action. First of all, what was being mentioned on commentary was that if the Wrath could win both of their games tonight, they could potentially take second place, depending on what the Buzzsaw did in the other matchup of this evening. Now, the Wrath obviously lose this match, so they do not have an opportunity to get second place anymore, but they could still potentially clinch third, depending on how the rest of this weekend goes. Immediately, I want to point out that their offense seems slightly stagnant outside of give the ball to Ty McGee and have him do something, or give the ball to Darian Slade so that he can create something different from just the time McGee scoring. Because if McGee isn't getting off or if, or if they're targeting him or if there's a focus on him, Darian Slade can get points in around the basket quite quickly with these sort of short jump lays that he's been able to get in, as well as big dunks as well. But it's sort of like, give it to McGee. If McGee can't get it done, give it to Slade. Slade will get us a couple of points and we can go back to McGee. That's sort of what their offense consists of at the moment. Outside of that, they've got this idea of like a two-man pop game around the island where um, someone goes onto the island, a guy jumps in, jumps into the bottom tramp and then jumps back to the top tramp. They get a handoff from the guy on the island and the two of them sort of swap back and forth until eventually they get like a bounce differential against the stopper and they can go up to them. Um, the problem is, while this is an interesting strategy and I like watching it because it's just fun, first of all, it's really hard to time. So if you get it wrong even a little bit, you've either got two on the island or two in a tramp and then that's a turnover. Secondly, it only really seems to be Ty McGee and Darren Slade that can really pull this off, okay? The team uh, still has, you know, an injury in Sean Stith. They still don't have Christian Gray. Stephen Julian III came back last night, but he's obviously missed the last, like, all of the first three weeks of action. So he's not in a condition to, to contribute a huge amount to this team. All of these are things that you sort of need to be thinking about as we, uh, as we watch the games from last night, right? Very quickly, I'm pulling up the stats so that I can just, con like, refer back to anything of significance. Um, like I said, it's been very rushed this morning here in uh, Bounce Off HQ. Um, but there's, it, it was, you know, a great game, great games to watch early in the morning. Um, I just wish I'd watched them at 3am rather than 8am because while the sleep was nice, the rush is not fun. Um, 
So the, the offense has got a very linear identity with the Wrath right now. Adding Greg Hill in the trade from last weekend creates a different dimension in terms of distance shooting, but no team in the league is enjoying shooting from distance. The only team that's focusing on shooting from distance are in last place, right? So while Greg Hill is a nice wrinkle to their offensive schemes, it's not something that they want to go to regularly as part of the offense. So he only gets a couple of shots per game. He managed to hit two four-pointers this game, right? And there was also a four-pointer hit from Trey Landers, who is the Wrath stopper. So if you take away those 12 points, this game becomes a lot less close. But, you you know, that's a retro, that's a weird thing to say because they went in, so what's the point of arguing if they didn't go in? Anyway, the additional, while Greg Hill is a great alternative option, right? And he's a big body. He is prone to mental lapses when it comes to decision-making, whether it be... You know, and th this isn't this isn't referring to like the mistakes he made as part of the lava when it was the last minute of a game. That's understandable. I'm talking about he came on, he scored a big dunk, and then he immediately fouled someone because they were going into the tramps and he hit them. And that's sort of like he he makes those sorts of mistakes regularly. So does he give you enough on the offensive end to justify the mistakes he makes defensively? I'm not entirely sure. Talking about the Wrath offense, again, Ty McGee continues to be the focal point for this team. He ended with 33 points, 11 of 19 shooting, almost all of those coming as rim attacks. And included in, in that like list of accomplishments were two of the craziest self-alley-oops we've seen all season. One of the early baskets for the Wrath, he sort of was on the island and gunned the ball off the backboard so that... Karstens, the slasher stopper, sort of gets turned around looking for where the pass went. And by that point, McGee's caught the ball again on the island and he jumps into the bottom tramp and goes up. The second one, basically the same idea. He guns it off the backboard, but this time it falls short. It goes into the bottom tramp. He himself has gone into the back tramp. The ball bounces off the back of the, the bottom trampoline into Ty McGee's hands as he's going right back up for a dunk. It was so, they were so cool to watch. I will hopefully get a chance to clip them later and they're going to be on my Twitter because that was so cool, so fun to see. Um, loved, loved watching that happen. Um, but outside of those things, you know, what else did they have going for them offensively? He had 33 points, Darian Slade had 10, Greg Helt had 10. But again, two of those were from fours from Greg Helt and then one, one uh, dunk. And then T Darian Slade was getting, you know, a lot of lays at the basket. Now, I know what I've said previously. You will win a game if you have three guys scoring in double digits or if you have one guy scoring near 30. This team had three guys in double digits and one guy who scored over 30. The thing with that is the two guys who were also double digits had 10, which is, you know, so almost negligible when I'm talking like this. And they were in it. They were in it and they, could, they were up by a huge amount at the end of the third um, at the end of the third quarter, uh, the the sla the Wrath had gone out to a 12-point lead, 51-39, to 39, which isn't insurmountable in slam ball, clearly. But it is an indicator that you could win this game. And then they started the fourth quarter giving the, the Slashers a 9-0 run to, to basically get back into the game. So, And that was predicated on a two-fold issue. First of all, I'm going to have to disagree with, with Coach Brendan Kirsch, who was on commentary, Trey Landers did not play well at stopper. He was getting exposed on single drives. He was getting destroyed by the Slasher's offense of um, double wing cut and high arching alley-oop. Uh, and that was despite the fact that the Slashers were mistiming it. And so they were often having to like make adjustments in the air. Landers still couldn't get there. 
He wasn't disrupting nearly as much as you want a stopper to be doing inside the tramps. This is a miracle that this game was this close. When you add on the fact that Lander's defense wasn't being helped by any perimeter stopping, especially going into this fourth quarter, where it just seemed porous on the outside. They were letting Tony Crosby II get in as easily as he wanted to. And even prior to that, they weren't really able to stop Alonzo Scott Jr. or Bradley Laubacher from getting in there. Okay, talking on more about the slashers and what they did good versus what the Wrath maybe did badly, really good execution from the slashers. Maybe to the point that they're, you know, their offense is clicking so well in terms of they understand it a lot better now. It's not clicking well in the sense that everything they try to do comes off perfectly, but it is clicking in the sense that they know their job and they try and execute it every single time. And that's good to see. Even when they make mistakes, like I've said, they're able to adjust in the air or they can reset a lot more comfortably now. The slashers have opportunities coming their way, especially because they've now drilled this double wing cut, high arching offense, and then the occasional um, single uh, dive cut from the top tramp, uh, a guy driving from outside of the, the, the trampoline area from the top trampoline, receiving a pass from a guy on the island, which is the strip of padding in between the top and bottom tramp and getting a dunk, right? Those two options alone are enough to disrupt a defense because when you're doing that and when you're, uh, the third option is the drive comes from the top and you still have the two wing cuts coming either side. So the drive that then gets to the island has two guys coming, one from each side to decide who to pass to. The, the, the stopper has to make a decision on who of those three guys they're going to worry about. And so that gives a lot of options for the offense, for the slashers. And they're maybe not getting it every time, but the fact that they're so consistently going for these things is a really good sign. Um, they could have scored way more if they hadn't overcomplicated things for themselves at one point. There was a section of the game where I noticed that Landers, like I say, totally not, and this is not his fault, he shouldn't have to play stopper, but the Wrath can't get a stopper. All their stoppers are injured. The guys who could play stopper aren't good enough at stopper, so Landers having to play it. And... If the slashers had just kept going at him, they would have run the score up, but they, they continued to try and run plays and, and maybe overcomplicate it a little bit more than need be when realistically against this guy at stopper, you can just throw a single lob, one cut lob, and you might score. Or continue to do what you were doing of two wing cuts and then a high arch, or two wing cuts and if Bradley Laubacher's the guy with the ball, just let him go straight up and dunk it, because that works for this team. Okay. Wrath wasted their last possession of the third, and then they didn't have a great plan for how to win the game when they were down by two with about with a possession left. The plan was, let Ty McGee try and create something. It hasn't worked out. He's given it to Darian Slade. What's the next plan? Look for Ty McGee. He gets a really nice drive in from the wing that I think against most stoppers, you, you, you know, most stoppers are not at the end of the game. You would expect him to punch this dunk home. Nathan Karstens has come alive in these two games, and we'll talk about it more in the main event matchup against the Buzz, spoilers, but he's come alive in these two games. Excellent stopper play from him, and a massive block to keep McGee out of the rim and win the game. Credit to him, that was a really good play for him. Great from the Slashers to have the fortitude to come back in the fourth and to start the fourth being as aggressive as most teams are in the first, because that's the only way you can win a game like that. Not, as, not only is that the only way, three guys scoring double-digit points, Tony Crosby the second with 23, Amir Smith with 18, and Alonzo Scott Jr. with 14. All really good scores for this team. And they were only doing a five-man rotation because Nardane James was out with an injury by the looks of things. Found it really interesting from the Wrath side of things. Um, I'll very quickly 
look at the uh, the injury update from last night because they didn't play Jordan Jones, who's one of their like injury replacement guys, and I really liked him. I thought he was doing great for them. They didn't play him at all, um, and and basically it came down to. Oh yeah, he was fine, so I don't know why they didn't play him. Right, so... Oh, that's interesting. So, Ryan Johnson's no longer in the wrath. He's back in the taxi squad. Um, Malik Abdul-Haq, Devontae Pratt, Bakari Copeland... I, I can't get into this just now. We do not have time for me to talk about the injury report. But the injury reports are available up to three hours before the games on the Slam Ball site, um, which they haven't broadcast at all. They haven't... I'm gonna, I will reiterate this because I've been super critical of it and said they need to tell people and then have been... A, and then they think I'm accusing them of hiding the information, and I kind of was, because as far as anyone was concerned, there was no information about injuries coming out until the start of a game. Because they hadn't broadcast the fact that you could find this information under the specific media release element of their news section. So they weren't broadcasting the injuries outside of in that location, and that isn't getting pushed to the media. So unless we go looking for that... Anyway... Pointing fingers doesn't make sense. I'll do better to keep on top of that. When I'm awake for the games, this was a bad, bad night of coverage from me and, and us here at Bounce Off. Anyway, back to the game. You know, Slashers played really well offensively. Could have played better even against this kind of stopper play. The Wrath are offense first through Ty McGee and then with Darian Slade and maybe Greg Helts shooting, but they don't have like an identity anymore. And that, I... You had enough weeks where people have been out that you could have developed something, and the fact that it still feels like it's Ty McGee against the world, while cool from a fan perspective maybe, isn't great for winning games. Okay, that was match one of the night. Match two, Rumble versus Buzzsaw, 75-53 for the Buzzsaw, and very few notes on this. The Buzz gunned hard and fast all game, especially in the first quarter. They end... The, uh, the first quarter, 23-15, to 15, an eight-point lead. And I think the only reason that they were getting scored on at all is because Tyquan Scott, good stopper. Um, Bakari Copeland was back for the Rumble, and he was playing at stopper minutes. And another disagreement with Coach Kirsch, maybe. Well, not disagreement. Coach Kirsch said on commentary, playing a guy who's just come back from injury at stopper is not a smart idea because that's such a timing-dependent position. And if you've missed a bunch of games with an injury, you haven't got the reps in to play that role. I understand that concept. I totally, I get what he's saying. But Bakari Copeland is supposed to be playing stopper minutes anyway. And by playing him at stopper, you unlock Tamiric Fields in the offensive end. And then you have Tippins Hill and Tamiric Fields as, as a nasty one-two combo. Big guys, big bodies with length that can attack. So even though Tyquan Scott is a great stopper, he's got two big guys running at him regularly. And I think that's the only reason that the Rumble is able to get in and score, right? To get those 15 points. They would have done even better if the first quarter hadn't consisted of jump shots from the outside, which wasn't everything, but their first play of the game was a four-point shot versus the Buzz, who got five straight dunks just going 
at Bakari Copeland or whoever was put under the basket at, at stopper, they were going hard and they were going fast because they knew that they needed to come out with a quick start, they needed to maintain strong defence and they needed to hold on to a lead for the whole game and run up the score because, you know, we talked about it, I put it out on Twitter or X or however you want to call it yesterday, that the league is finally like explained what the 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 differential is for teams in terms of like how how do you win a game um how do you win the season so win percentage is the first thing for seeding then it's main event wins then it's head to head win percentage and fourth is point differential so if you're the buzzsaw and you're fighting for that second place spot and you know that the teams you're going to come up against later in the night could beat you for it, you want a higher score differential because that's the fourth fourth thing on that checklist and you want to make sure you've got more points than any other team. Okay, The stopper differential was big. Again, Bakari Copeland doesn't have that experience. You, you want Tamiric Fields to be in the front court, to be part of the offense. Taking him out of that role... Uh, and putting him back at stopper, I don't think it was a smart idea for the, the Rumble, unless they had to do it because Picari Copeland was getting blown up in terms of like his, uh, that's like a wrestling term, but in, in terms of like his, he was getting gassed, right? There's another way of doing it. His his lungs were giving out. He was tired. If that's the case, then sure, put Tamiric Fields back there. But if it's a decision that they've made apropos of that, keep Tamiric Fields on the offensive end, keep Picari Copeland on the basket, Live with whatever he's going to give up. Let him get the stopper reps, but li live with what he's going to let in because the difference with Tamiric Fields taking over, I think, is negligible. I don't think he's been a good enough stopper to justify like, like swapping him back there. Just let them play Tamiric up front and Bakari Copeland at the back, right? So regardless of that, the buzz gunned hard and fast going straight at the stopper and the stopper play wasn't good enough from the rumble. You know, Ty didn't blow me away. Ty Scott for the Rumble didn't, for the buzz, didn't blow me away in this game. But he was consistently there, consistently challenging. Even if he was getting dunked on, he was getting in there and he was getting in the guys' faces, not making it easy for them. That creates tiredness in the opposition's offense. That can wear them out. So really good from him in terms of that. But he was doing it in the air and in the trampolines. Again, they still let in 53 points. It, it isn't like a blow away defensive game from him. Right, let's have a quick look at the box score because I might be doing him a disservice and his LBRs and everything might be huge. But it, it didn't feel massive. But what felt massive was just that he was there and a regular presence and something that the Rumble needed to be aware of, okay? So like I said, maybe I'm doing him a disservice. It, like the other part about the scoring, every player, um, well, five of the seven players that suited up for the buzz last night scored in double digits. Um... Yeah, Ty, Ty had a Ty Scott had a fine game. Eight stops and seven LBRs. That's like what you're expecting from a starting stopper that plays the full game. So, fine game, but you need a fine game minimum, right? You need a fine game minimum to win games. And so a fine game from him isn't a bad thing, um, especially when the team is able to score as much as they did. That's the basically what it comes down to. That's the basically. That's the sentence. You can tell I'm rushing this morning. But Ty... Didn't didn't blow me away, but he didn't bow down on the defensive end. He got in their face. The Rumble still don't have consistent stopper play, but they at least have bodies they can throw in that role, unlike the Wrath. I think you should have stuck with Bakari Copeland and let him get more reps. If it was an exhaustion thing, I understand the change, but I'd much rather have Tamiric Field scoring alongside 
Kaelin Tippins Hill because when you look at the box score for the Rumble team, it was 15 points for Hill and 18 points for Tamiric Fields, right? Next up, uh, 10 points for Victor Dean. If you can just get more baskets out of Tippins Hill and Tamiric Fields, they're a scary double offensive threat. I like that a lot. But they, you know, they got stopped here. Credit to the Buzz for getting that win and for winning it by, you know, 22 points and, and really trying to run up the score so that they've got a better chance of making the second seed. And if you make the second seed, you get a bye in the first round of the playoffs. You go straight to the semi-finals uh, on the Thursday. And that's great for rest. That's great for the ability to train more. That's great for not potentially injuring someone having to play the quarterfinal game or the, yeah, the quarterfinal game. A lot of Pepsi Max to start the day. Fun start. Main event matchup. The Slashers give a big statement win against the Buzz, who yet again, and this time they don't have, they don't have the excuse that the Wrath had of not having a guy who's a good stopper. Tyquan Scott is a good stopper. The Slashers offense is clicking so good, right? And that first game against the Wrath, there was a couple of mistakes made and they adjusted for it. This game against the Buzz, zero, like, the, the same mistakes weren't being made. Yes, they were making other mistakes, right? They were having turnovers, and they were, they were doing silly things or whatever. But the bad passes in the air for the high-arching alley-oops and, and the, the double wing cuts and stuff like that, those were gone. And that was getting made consistently. And when you end the first quarter up seven, uh, 18 to 7, going for quick offense through Laubacher driving from the sides to set up those double wing cuts, or Nathan Karsgren's coming up as part of your offense, getting to the island and not wasting the possession, making sure there's a good play come out of it. That's really hard to stop when it's quick, it's constant, it's gunning at you from the sides, you've just played a game, you're maybe a little bit more tired, and this is what you have to do if you have that first match of the night. You have to come out firing on all cylinders and try and kick up a big lead, right? The other problem with this is that the buzz defensive strategy, like they've ran previously against the Slashers, is to double-team Tony Crosby the second, right? Because if you double-team him, you are... You, the, the thought is, if you double-team him, you're taking out all of their offense, right? I compared the Slashers earlier this season to the 0-176ers, where they have a lot of nice pieces, but by and large, it is a one-man team. That wildly misunderestimates what the Slashers' offense is today, three weeks since weekend one. Because yes, Tony Crosby second is an amazing scorer. He's able to get in and around the tramps very, like, as in when he wants. His movement there is, is, is great. He's described it as easy to get into the tramps. So that, you know, he's obviously a threat. I mean, he ends this game with 12 points and that's a bad night for him type thing. And he had the, the earlier game the night where he had 23, right? He is still a great scorer, but simplifying their offense down to we need to take Tony out fundamentally misunderstands what I just mentioned about Brad Laubacher organizing this offense, uh, Nathan Karstens being able to be a facilitator in the half court, Alonzo Scott Jr. being able to, you know, score catch the ball midair really easily and finish most things. And Amir Smith, who was playing at stopper for this team, now getting the opportunity to just run as part of the offense, be another gunning option for them. If you're running out a lineup that's, even if you took Tony Crosby the second out, if you've got Laubacher, if you've got Carstens at the back, Laubacher is your handler, and then Scott and Smith 
as the gunner options. That's still quite a scary lineup. That's still a playoff contender lineup. And then you add Tony Crosby the second, who's now a secondary or tertiary option in this offense if you want him to be. That's a horrifying secondary option to have to deal with. You're dealing with passes coming off of wing cuts to Alonzo Scott or to Amir Smith. Brad Laubacher faking that pass and then just dunking it himself because he can get up there fast. I mean, he ends this game with five points, which is low for him. But that's also with five assists. So, you know, that that's one of those things you have to pay attention to with the Slash as well. And then you add in the idea that, like, okay, if that's not coming off, we'll just get Tony Crosby the second cut, cutting from the top tramp on a dive cut, and we'll just throw the ball up and he'll slam it home. That's such a terrifying secondary option for a team to have, right? To 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 have to pay attention to three offensive guys or two offensive guys and then have this guy screaming coming at you incredible um obviously the flaw with something i mentioned is nathan karstens coming up to play offense leaves you vulnerable at the back and the buzz obviously if they were getting the basketball if they were getting the ball back they're gonna get a basket because they just throw it out and they run and they go so there's a flaw in that but the overall result of Karstens can play stopper all game now. You know, early season it was, we'll play Smith at stopper and we'll maybe cycling Karstens for minutes. Don't need to do that now. Karstens played this whole game at, at stopper, played most of the first game at stopper. He is now at the, the quality, at the level, that you can just play him at stopper for the whole game. And like I said, Amir Smith is now a secondary, is now like another option you've got offensively. That is very scary for teams to have to deal with. Um, the buzzsaw just weren't as fast coming out into this one as they were in the previous game or as they were versus the slashers in this game. The speed was just a lot uh, for them to have to deal with coming in from, from, a, from a game that they just played where they were trying to run up the score. And the other thing is the, the doubling of, of Tony Crosby second not just ignores the rest of the offense that the slashers have, but it also limits your availability for perimeter defense if you've got two guys on one. It means you can't cover everyone as much. And Taekwon Scott, great stopper, can't deal with that high arching double wing cut alley-oop. But he definitely can't deal with it if you're, all of your off defensive focus is on one guy and you're letting the other two cut into the tramp as much as they want. Because then what's he supposed to do? He's got to honor the ball. And then if he's honoured it a couple of times, he knows that the play is going to go over him, except he doesn't because then Laubacher can just score with the ball. So he's been put in a really difficult position by the double teaming of Tony Crosby the second. It worked in previous games, but that was because the slashers weren't as comfortable with this offensive setup. In that previous game, when they did that, when they double teamed Tony Crosby the second, it made it look like the double wing cut high arching alley only worked if it was Laubacher and Crosby. They've gone away, they've retooled, they've trained. Now, Laubacher can do that with Crosby, with Smith, with Scott, like that, you know, and he can just do it on his own if he wants to. So, very scary offensive development from the Slashers. The Buzz are still a great defensive team, but in trying to develop more of an offense, it's so hard to find a balance there. Um, and especially when... Over the course of the game, your stopper's getting more and more tired and you're giving them less and less help on the perimeter. That being said, both these teams were gassed by the end. So if a team comes out swinging hard and fast and you defensively can keep up with them, uh, having been the second team to play on the night, then you have a better chance of beating them late in the, the main event. Um, but you need to contain them early on and the buzz did not contain the slashers early on. 
which is why, you know, at halftime, it was 43 to 26 for the Slashers. You know, a 17-point lead. It had been an 11-point lead. It was then a 17-point lead. Not ideal from them. Um, Amir Smith had 26. Alonzo Scott Jr. had 14. And Tony Crosby had 12. Compare that to the Buzz, who Ralph Bellamy got some really easy dunks. Like, Karstens is great. Fast break. Fast movement. Really attacking from the Buzz was enough to get past him. And Ralph Bellamy... Early Doors was a guy that you expect to do a lot for this buzzsaw team, and he does it in spurts. You'd really like to see him do more um, for this team going forward if they're going to have a chance of, of winning more games. So the way that things shake out after last night's action, with the buzz winning one game, they now go to... Let's have a look at the standings because I was just going to say it, but I can just look it up. So the buzz are now 8-5, and five, right? As I said, when the night started, they were they were seven and four, and the wrath were five and five, uh, five and four. Sorry, and so Combs was like, right, if the wrath can win both their games, if the wrath had won both games and the buzzsaw had lost the first and then not played in the main event, the wrath would have been above the buzzsaw. Uh, at least they would have been tied in win percentage. They probably would have been above them uh, when it came to some stats. So they would have at least been within contention for second. They lost to the Slashers, obviously. The Buzzsaw beat the Rumble handedly. That now lays it out so that the Mob are still buying, buying the way that, you know, they've, they've clinched first. Second seed is still up for grabs between the Buzz and the Slashers. It will depend how the rest of this weekend goes. If the Buzz lose their next game and then don't have a main event matchup to play and the Slashers win their next two games, they will jump up to second and the playoffs will be totally flipped from how people were expecting. A reminder... First and second place don't play in the quarterfinals. They go straight to Thursday night semi-final matchups. Um, and it'll be the mob for sure doing that. And then second place is either going to be the buzz or the slashers. We will have to find out as the rest of this weekend goes on. The Wrath have clinched a playoff position. It just depends where are they going to end up in that, you know, structure. Um, there is still the potential that... Actually, no, there isn't. So I think Wrath have now clinched fourth. So the top four are definitely going to be the Mob, Buzz, Slashers, and Wrath. The reason I say that is because the Griffins are currently at three and seven, right? So if the Wrath were to lose their next game and not get a main event opportunity, they would go down to five and six, right? Um, I suppose there is still the opportunity that if the Wrath win both their next games, they could jump over the Slashers if the Slashers lose their next one. So the Wrath could be third. Second, third, and fourth are still kind of like, like fluid, but those are the top four teams, are Mob, Buzz, Slashers, and Wrath. Griffins could potentially catch up to the... Well, they, they could... Oh, this is the thing. So the, the Wrath are 5-5. Five and five. If they lose their next game, they end the season 5-6. and six. The Griffins are 3-7. and seven. So even if they won both of their next two games, they would still end 5-7, and seven, making them be behind the Wrath. So they are definitely, at best, they can get fifth place, can the Griffins, right? That seems unlikely. When it comes to... Outside of that, though, the Griffins could still potentially slip down further if they lost their next matchup and either the Lava or Ozone won two in a row. That seems unlikely. The Rumble are probably out of contention for a playoff spot. Statistically, they could still make it, but you expect that they're out of contention now. That's the only team that's not likely to be in the playoffs. The Griffins, Lava, and Ozone could all flip and flop for those uh, five, six, and, uh, five and six spots and the seventh spot, which would keep them out of the playoffs. 
That is a whirlwind explanation of the playoffs as they look right now in the standings. That was a mess. I apologise. The interesting thing, I talked about Rath and Griffins being like a, a important comparison point and the fact that no one can catch them all and the fact that it looks like the Rumble are out of this thing. Um, tonight's matchups at uh, 7.30 Pacific time, which is 3.30 a.m. my time. Hopefully I'll wake up for this one. Wrath versus Griffins. So the Wrath need to win this to stay in contention of third and to stop the Griffins potentially, like, and to maybe stop the Griffins from getting fifth, right? The problem is the second matchup of the night is Mob versus Rumble. That's going to be a Mob win. You almost can guarantee that. Then it would be difficult in the main event. Um, I can't see the Griffins winning. The Wrath after last night, I can't see them winning either, but there were a team I thought could beat the Mob. If, and this is a big, big if, but if the Wrath can win both games tonight, so beat the Griffins and then beat the Mob in the main, then they would get, you know, they might get third place. But everything's, you know, everything's such a mishmash, apart from the Mob being in first. Um, are they going to go undefeated? Tonight's the last night of Mob action before the playoffs. Are they going to go into the playoffs with a 16-0 record? having played loads more games than any other team. Um, we'll find out tonight, won't we? That'll be exciting. Um, apologies for the whirlwind, guys. Still 33-minute long pod, and I think I crammed like 50 minutes worth of stuff in here. Thank you for listening if you're listening to a podcast. Thank you for watching if you're watching on YouTube. Get involved in the comments. Get at me on social media. Let's talk slam because it's so exciting to be part of this world. Um, thank you for checking out Bounce Off. Apologies for the rushed nature of this. Blame my alarm, blame diabetes, blame whatever I had going on last night. Um, I needed the rest, I guess. But we will be back at it tomorrow with a far more concise, deliberate, and more improved presentation. Uh, apologies for that, folks. But hopefully you get something out of this podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed last night's action. And hopefully I'll see you again on another episode, another edition of Bounce Off.